hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. Only certain people can do those things. It's just impossible for me. Most of the time when we talk about fire, these are the types of comments that we get. And that's why we use rebuttals like those to source topics of our show. And also that's why today on Queer Money episode 321, we're hosting Court of Modern Family again to talk about how she and her partner have both fired, that's past tense, even though they just had their second kid a year ago. Court dropped some major wisdom on this episode, so let's just let Court do her magic. Here we go. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So welcome, Court of Modern Family, back to the Queer Money Podcast. We're excited to have you again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I I always love chatting with you guys. This will be fun. Thank you. We were just talking that the last episode of yours we published, episode 200, was pretty much right before the pandemic started. So (laughs) it's a whole new world today, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Actually, things have changed considerably for you. (laughs) Yes. I think you were a family of three back then. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, uh, So, to kick off this episode, we want to let everybody know. We've been covering the fire movement a little bit more over the last several months. And it just seems that so often when we publish something, whether it's on the podcast or on social media um, about fire, that we always get this rebuttal or this retort that, well, for XYZ reason, fire isn't for me, or fire is only for certain types of people or certain people who have, are certain places in their life or who have certain conditions. And so we're trying to make more of an effort because we don't, I know that we know that there are some obstacles to joining the fire movement and succeeding at the fire movement. But we think that so many of us sort of create obstacles that aren't necessarily there. So we did have Homo Money on the podcast to talk about how he is firing as a single person. So you don't necessarily need to be in a couple. Well, one of the rebuttals we got was that you can't grow a family and fire. And so we didn't have to look very hard to find <laughs> evidence that you actually can, which is why we decided to invite Court back uh, from Modern Family to talk about not only firing with a family, but firing while growing a family. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think we'll also throw in there growing a, a family as a same-sex or queer couple, because we also know that we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, the additional expenses that a lot of same-sex couples, queer couples face when uh, wanting to start a family. So we wanted to talk about the process with you. Yes, absolutely. So to kick us off, do you mind starting? uh, What has changed in your life? Is there anything new? (laughs) Yeah, so we've expanded our family. So we were a family of three. Last we talked, we had our daughter, Finn, and now we have added a second child to our, our little network here. So we've got Parker now, who's just about one years old. So we now have a four-year-old and four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. So it's uh, it's chaos in our house, even <laughs> though neither one of us are going to work. Like it's still very busy days and chaotic. So we basically transitioned to full-time parents as our new role, right? Like it's a 24-hour job. So we're not bored by any means. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, do you have anything added- to do all day? I'm like, just sit around and watch <laughs> yeah. TV, I guess. Yeah, we, you know, we went through all the streams platforms, you know, watch everything. We have all the time in the world. (laughs) That's awesome. So can you, just you saying that sort of sparked something else in me is not only is it cool that you're able to fire and have that financial security, but I wonder how many people, not even so much retiring early part, but who would have like to have the luxury or the the privilege of, of both partners being able to stay at home to raise the kids. I mean, in America, it's, it's a luxury for one person to be able to stay home and raise the kids. And to, for both, that's that's a that's a very, I don't know. That just seems like a very cool dynamic. If that's something that you're you're looking for, can you kind of explain what like life looks like 
for the two of you or four of you, sorry? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we are constantly saying like, we don't know how other families do this, whether it's one person at work and there's one person at home, like that just sounds like so chaotic to me, even though it's like you said, a luxury to be able to have one parent at home. And for us, like, how would anyone, how would our neighbors, for example, are like that setup where the husband's at work and the mom is stay at home mom. And like, with two kids. I'm like, it's got to be chaos in that house. Like just managing two verse one, like you're outnumbered. Right. So like, we just, we are so privileged and so thankful for the things we did in our twenties to set us up to where we are now in our thirties, where we're able to do this. So yeah, it's, we always are jokingly, you know, like how do other families do this? Especially, you know, if there are two parents that are, who are at work, like how, when do they ever see their kids? You have to be out the door by seven, eight o'clock to get to work. And then you're not home till five, six o'clock and, you know, rushing through the madness of dinner and, you know, any extracurriculars that are going on then and the bedtime routine, which for us takes a long time. Like <laughs> we're exhausted, you know, by eight o'clock. So we just don't know like how other people do it. We just don't get it. But yeah, so our basic typical day is, you know, we basically have what most people's weekends look like, but without the stress of having to cram everything into those two days off. So laundry, grocery shopping, meal prep, you know, whatever else needs to go on in those two days, we don't have to cram that in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have slow mornings where we have breakfast together in our PJs and I'm still in my PJs now while we record this. (laughs) Um, We, you know, we read on the couch a lot. Like when Parker's napping, Finn is doing a lot of reading she loves books. So the library is our best friend, you know, we're there all the time. So we do lots of reading, whether it's in the morning, you know, afternoon, midday, Uh, we'll go outside, you know, we'll see what the weather looks like and pick the best time of day. Typically that's sometime, you know, between 11 and five, we're doing something outside, whether it's a bike ride or a hike or going to skip rocks in the river, going to the zoo, going to the pool, you know, in the winter months, it might be skating outdoors on the outdoor rinks or skiing or sledding more books, come home and do more books. And then we make dinner together. Finn gets really mad if she doesn't get to help prep with dinner. So we got our own kids knife and everything. So she takes part in that and, you know, more books afterwards, we do stories and snack afterwards. And then the bedtime routine, you know, with a weekly, you know, activities sprinkled in there. So for example, Mondays, we have a play group that we go to. Wednesdays, she goes to outside school for a couple hours. Thursdays is a preschool class and the library story time. Fridays is a drop-in gymnastics. And Saturdays is a Lego day at our library. So we have things going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to go to your library. Like, yeah, <laughs> like our library is awesome. Like there's so many more things that our library offers. And I would imagine many out there too. Like we can rent books, of course, and then eBooks and audiobooks, but puzzles and board games. And ours has a seed library where people will just drop off packets of seeds for gardening. There's tools so you can get ladders and pressure washers and anything that you can imagine from the tool side, outdoor lawn games, you know, ladder toss and whatever cornhole. They have tents and camping gear. And then in the wintertime, they have snowshoes, they have hiking poles and hiking equipment, like just so many things that like you wouldn't think to go to your library for, you know, so then you don't need all that stuff in your house. You're not spending the money on that. And you don't have the extra clutter of that around, you know, for the one or two times a year that you would use those things just use your library. Like, so yeah, like we love, we love the library. Well, so we're Americans. And so that just sounds like socialism to me. (laughs) (laughs) Sharing things with other people, know your community. (laughs) Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. First of all, I think that, yeah, I read a read a statistic, a headline this morning on CNBC that updated the number of what it costs to raise an average middle-class child here in the United States. And it's now approaching $288,000 to raise a middle-class child from the age of birth to roughly 17 before you send them off to college or you kick them out of the house or whatever yeah. whatever no, happens leave. with them at, after that point. Um, <laughs> and what I, what I was thinking about is all of the costs that are associated with, with children, all of the things that 
families have to acquire or think that they have to acquire or things that they think they have to do Mm -hmm. or the activities they have to put their kids in or the away time from their kids that parents end up spending a lot of money on. And I was just listening to you describe your day and then your checkout process at the library. (laughs) And, you know, honestly, I haven't been to the library here in Vegas. And I think that's partly because of COVID and partly because we get our books online more often than not. But I think I need to make a trip to the library. But it sounds like to me that there's a lot of things that a lot of people just aren't taking advantage of that could allow them to either trade off some of the costs for great activities or expose their kids to things that they wouldn't be exposed to if they're just checking them into an after-school activity or sending them to some sort of daycare or after-school care or even during the summer, like a summer camp or something like that. You're, You're basically saying that there's a lot of things out there that we maybe need to explore. Yes, definitely. I mean, you're paying for the convenience, right? Like you are paying for the daycare so that way you can go to work, which most people have to do or forced to do, right? So we obviously don't have to do that. So it's a huge cost saver for us immediately is the daycare costs. But then summer camps is, you know, some people may want to have, you know, a week or two or three or four you know, keep going, depending on how much freedom you want, separation you want from your kids. But we personally love spending time with our kids. That is our why. That is our driving factor to all of this. So the thought of us like putting our kids in camp all day or in daycare all day so we can have our days off, like that doesn't allure us at all. And then it obviously comes at a cost. But yes, like there are so many things out there that you can do with your kids at a very low cost that you do not need to be spending all this money on. So the library is just one example, but we have so many things going on. You just have to know about them, whether that's signing up for, you know, a Facebook group in your area that maybe other parents have, you know, there's thousands of other parents in your town and they all are connecting and letting people know that this event is going on. So you don't have to necessarily be in the know, but know where to find the information for mm-hmm. these things. Right? right. And, but besides that, like just go outside with your kids. That's all you really need to be doing with them. Like let them spend 20 minutes playing in the grass, digging up dirt, trying to figure out how to get the key to work in the mailbox key. You know, like <laughs> these things do not require a lot of effort from your end, but just spend that hour outside. You're all getting fresh air. You, they are exploring, you know, go find a bug and just watch a bug cross the sidewalk and see what it does. Like there's a half hour right there. They're enjoying it. It's quiet. Maybe they ask a couple questions about it. They're learning and you get a little break in that sense because the entertainment is now coming from the bug and not you, right? Like all these little things that you could be doing, like just going to a park or a playground or setting up a play date with a friend. Like they do not need to be these fancy elaborate things. Kids just want your attention, your time, your love. So that could be just reading books from a library for hours, which is what we do over the course of a day. It ends up being two, three hours, zero dollars. You know, like going outside, whether it's in our backyard or a bike ride, we get our bikes secondhand. So many of our kids' stuff is secondhand. Like the majority of the things that we have gotten from for them, secondhand things. And to going back to the cost of things, I'm a crazy tracker. I track everything. And, you know, the, going back to that $288,000 stat, and they say, you know, the first couple of years, you spend ten to $15,000 on your kids. And we are nowhere near that. Like for Finn, our daughter, who's four, the first year we spent about $1,200, second year, about $1,400, third year, $700. Then this fourth year, 700. So it's actually gone down over time. And Parker is trending about the same for his first year. So it's so interesting to me how I see these numbers and people get freaked out. It's like, I can't have kids because they're so expensive or we're not going to do it because it's just not, you know, we can't, we can't afford kids, but they really don't have to be that expensive. You know, we will buy a sports pass over the winter time and that gives us access to this amazing pool, three hockey rinks, a climbing facility, 
curling, you know, you name it, it has everything there. Turf time, you know, bouncy houses, whatever for a hundred dollars a month. That is our entertainment for the winter. You know, when we are seeking indoor things, if we want to go skiing for kids, it's $20 for the whole season. And so she's just off the magic carpet this, you know, for the last couple of years, but it's easy. Like we're outside again, you know, we're out for a couple hours. She's enjoying it. It's low cost. And, and, you know, as kids get older, yes, there's probably going to be higher cost things involved, but I really think if we're able to optimize things at this level now, we will continue to be able to optimize. It's not like, oh, now that they're, you know, 14 and 11, now our spending is, you know, $20,000 more than when they were little. I don't, I really don't think it's going to get to that. Maybe, you know, one-off things like braces and things like that. Of course, you Mm -hmm. have to plan for things like that. But I, I really think there are ways that you can, like, you can volunteer for these events that the kids are interested and maybe that reduces your registration costs. We have some friends in town that they're into like BMX biking and the dad, he goes and puts in, I think it's 40 hours over the course of the year. And that gets them into the BMX team for free. So like, they don't have to pay the registration for it. So that's, you know, one example, we are a hockey family. So maybe, you know, we become the coaches for the team. And if it turns into a travel type of setup where there's a lot of hotels and things like that, typically the coaches don't have to pay for the hotels. So then our accommodations are paid for You know, little things like that, because we have the time we can spend volunteering and helping out and being, you know, active in our community that way. So it's a win for us that we're giving back, but there's also that financial win that we don't have to spend as much too. So there's so many ways to hack it. It's just thinking outside of the box with so many different things out there and, you know, using your buy nothing groups and Facebook marketplace. And we have Virage sale here. It's an app that basically virtual garage sale where people are just, especially young kids, like they are churning through things. Like we see it with our kids, you know, the lifespan of their interest on certain toys is six months max. So why would we buy something new when it's just going to be, you know, not touched and obsolete in a couple months. So we'll buy it used for, you know, 90% off and then sell it back for that same exact cost. So that's a no cost item for us. So that's how we're able to keep our costs down. We are not buying brand new toys ever really. Like we are buying things that we see is like, Oh, this is a, this is a good thing for a good price. Let's buy it. And we know in a year or six months or three months, however long it lasts, we'll just resell it for the same price. And that's constantly what we're doing, things like that. So let me ask you a question, because I think that there are a lot of, well, I think about the the insta-worthy lifestyle that most people feel like they have to have today. So I think that there may be some people who are listening to this who may think to themselves, you don't ever get your kid a brand new toy. Are you a bad parent? Yeah. How yeah. would you respond to something like that? Right. I mean, how, how is the how is the mindset of I must be a bad parent if I'm not spending eight hundred dollars on their birthday party? I'm not spending six hundred dollars on a new bike every two to three years. I'm not buying them designer tennis shoes that they'll wear for six months. I'm not using them on my Instagram feed to show everybody how fabulous my kids are. Why does not doing that not make you a bad parent? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to me, honestly, like if you want, if that's what you value, so be it. Like then that means you are in the office having to pay for those things more and you're spending less time with your kids when in reality, like I was saying before, they want your time and attention, which is free, right? So it's that gap where people feel like this is how I'm going to win my love from my kids is by showing them I love them by buying them all these things, the newest thing. Do they know it's new? Do they know it's used? No, they have absolutely zero clue. Do they see a bike and you're actually able to go for that bike ride with them versus like, you go ride, I'll be out in an hour after I'm done with this call. Which do you think they're going to want to do more? They're going to want Mm -hmm. to spend that time with you on a used bike that they have no clue is used and you got for free versus you having to be forced to work to pay for that brand new bike. Right. So it's just, it's, you know, the wealth is what you can't see. It's like having that money 
in your pockets to be able to spend the time with the, your kids and your family, right? Versus having that wealth and then you're spending it and then it's in that work, spend, work, spend, work, spend. Well, where do you have the time for your family, right? And like, this has been something we've done from the get-go. So it's not like we've had to, we've had this lifestyle creep go up, up, up where they're used to all the fanciest things. And now we've reached this aha moment of like, oh, well, we don't need to be spending all this money on this. And if that's a lot of people, right? And then it seems like as this deprivation as you reel things back in. And it's hard, much harder to do things that way. Totally understand that. But we've never done that. So mm-hmm. it's always been like, we will go to a store and we'll tell Finn, okay, pick out a stuffy to walk with while we're around the store. And then at the end, she puts it back. There's no <laughs> fight. There's no argument of like, but I want to bring this home. Like, because it's never been like that. She's never brought a stuffy home from the store. So it's just instilling these things from a young age. And we talk to her about money and personal finance, and she knows about investing and how her savings account for her education is means she owns little bits of every company. And when they make money, she makes money. She loves nice. logging in with me and seeing what her account looks like. <laughs> At four. She's four. talking to her. She's four. She loves this stuff. She loves saving money. Like she is a she is a saver. And I love that. Like part of that, I'm sure it just has to do with her naturally. Like I am a natural saver, but I think a lot of it also has to do with these conversations that we have. And we talk about, you know, if you get, you know, $10, we told her for her birthday this year, she was going to get money from her friends. We asked everyone to bring her $4 since she's turning four instead of any gifts. And then we went to a thrift store and let her pick out anything there. We knew the max cost would be $5 because that's how they kind of work there. And she picked out a dollhouse and we told, we got to talking to the lady who worked there and telling her that this was money that she got for her birthday. And the lady gave her her all of her coins back and said, you keep that and spend it on something else. And then gave it to her for free. So like, I was like, oh, I'm nice. trying to teach her a lesson, but this is great. <laughs> you know? um, like little Kindness things is like good that. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we're okay with that. You know, little, little things like that to start at a young age, I would much rather be teaching her those type of things than this is something fancy and we don't use it because it's fancy and we don't want it to break because I spent a lot of money on it. And now that it has a ding, like, oh, I'm so mad because I just spent $300 on that thing, whatever that thing is. Wow. That's true. That's so Um, true. I would rather her use those things that we're getting, right? And make use of it. And whether it, you know, gets dinged or whatever, okay, it was only a $5 thing instead of a $400 new Barbie dollhouse that, oh my gosh, the stairs just broke. And how are we going to fix the stairs? Like I couldn't care less, right? right? Little things like that. I know I'm rambling about your your question, but I can go on and on and on about this <laughs> no. stuff. I think. I'll, I'll say I think it's I think, I think that if you're as I'm listening to this, I don't know how many of us say to ourselves, "God, I wish my parents would have taught me how to save." I mean, literally taught me not how to put money in the bank, save, but how to live a life that allows me to save. And that's what you're teaching your kids, and it, it's. There's just so many things to unpack in what you've said. That the, the, I, I think probably the quote of the show here is, the wealth is in the things that you can't see. That's what I was going to say. And it's just so, for so many people, even growing up and when I was a kid, and then at, when I had my stepson, there were times when I knew that I was using money and things as a trade-off for not being able to spend time with him mm-hmm. or choosing not to spend time with him. Cause there were definitely times we chose not to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that as parents, we have to ask ourselves that question mm-hmm. or as prospective parents, we have to ask ourselves that question. Do we want our kids to have the wealth that you can't see, or do we want them to have the wealth that everyone can see and then them maybe feeling like there's something missing in their lives. Totally. And the whole wealth that you can't see versus that you can see when you're spending that money to buy those flashy things, to buy those fancy things, you're doing it, like you said, for those Instagram worthy pictures, or, you know, you're, you're doing it to show off in a sense, partly to your kid, but mostly to other people. Mm -hmm. But in reality, everyone's so focused on themselves that they may not even notice that you are all dressed to the nines and you're all matching all these fancy clothes and this, you have this perfect picture set up. Like, I'm sure they'd be like, Oh, that's great. Like, 
they don't know that it cost you a thousand dollars to go and do that. And was it really worth that thousand dollars? Like they are so worried about their family pictures and getting (laughs) themselves all decked to the nine. They're like, okay, yeah, that's great. But like, they're focused on themselves. Right. And in reality, right. Like everyone's mostly selfish and so focused on themselves. So like we're showing off for people that don't really care about you in that sense. So like, it's just such a catch 22 about it all. Like we're spending money to show off when there's no real need or purpose for it anyways. Yeah. How many thousands and thousands of dollars do we spend just to get a couple extra likes on Instagram? Right. Yeah, exactly. In in hopes that someday that may turn, turn into something for us. Right. Right. For many of us. Yeah. (laughs) So you've done a great job of sort of providing a picture of what your life looks like. And I would assume that a lot of us are kind of jealous right now (laughs) because I would like somebody to read to me two to three hours a day. (laughs) I used to read Winnie the Pooh books to John before he, we would go to bed and I stopped doing that. And now he's uh, he's not happy with (laughs) it. So going, tacking a little bit to, to the fire side of things, do you consider yourself fired as in past tense, or are you in the process of firing? And maybe what type? And right, you know what type variety. of fire? How would you define your fire? Yeah. So I think some people would see our lifestyle and say we're lean fire, but we don't see it that way. So in the traditional fire sense, you know, lean would be spending $25,000, $30,000 a year, you know, basic bare bones type of thing. That fire would be someone spending $80,000, $100,000. And we don't see it more tied to a number for lean and fire. We see it more if your typical spending is X and you've saved above X and you have contingencies built in there, and maybe you've built in to withdraw less than the typical 4%, to us, that's fat fire. Whatever that number is, is specific to you and your family. So we Mm -hmm. don't spend a lot of money. Like right now we are spending about $40,000 and that includes everything. Like we put 5,000 for our kids, RESPs there in Canada, it's like a 529, but the government matches 20% of it. So it'd be silly not to invest in that if you have the means to do so travel, you know, every, all the extras, we're spending $40,000 on our family. So for us, like that would equate to a fire number of a million dollars using the typical 4% rule, but we have a portfolio higher than that. So we are withdrawing less than 3% of our portfolio. So to us, we view that as a fat fire number, Mm -hmm. but it's not in the $3 million range. So I think most people would say, oh, that's not fat, you know, but for us, it's a fat number. So we view fat and lean and everything very differently than like the typical number definitions out Mm -hmm. there. So yeah, we, we are at a point where, so when when Finn was born four years ago, we reached our family of three fire number. And that's when Nick stopped working, stopped working. And then when Parker was born a little over a year, about a year ago, we reached our family of four fire number. And that's when I took off on Canada has a pretty nice parental leave benefit here. Yes, you do. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) I'm still off. (laughs) I'm (laughs) off on parental leave. So this has kind of been our test And also to backtrack, I also transitioned from full-time to part-time in 2019 as well. So that's kind of been our transition to FIRE and kind of testing the waters, seeing if this lifestyle is what we want. Are we missing work at all? No, the answer is no. (laughs) So yeah, I, I am off until September at this point. So it'll be about 15 months that I'm able to be off on parental leave. And this has been our kind of test run. Like The numbers are all there, even with the market you know, going down since January, we're still sitting in a sub 3% withdrawal rate. Like we are still very fine with our numbers. So we're feeling very comfortable and confident that this is kind of how we are going to continue to live our lives. Um, But I think what most people I want to really push and stress is like, this is, we are not robots. We are not going to see our portfolio go from X and let's say the markets continue to go down for the next five, 10 years. Let's just say, or it's flat, whatever. And we're we're withdrawing from it. And so our portfolio is getting smaller and smaller. We are not just going to watch our portfolio go to zero. Like we did not optimize and work this hard to get to where we are to just watch it all go away. You know, if we're at this point, since our spend is relatively low, if we pick up fun part-time side gigs that bring in 10,000, $15,000 combined between Nick and I, we will be more than fine. And we know that. So it's not that we have to go back to the stressful corporate 
full-time job ever. Like that is not ever in our plans. It's more, do we want to flip vans and convert them and use them for a year and then sell them for a little profit? Or do we want to go work at a bakery? You know, these are the type of jobs that we would potentially not necessarily have to, but potentially pick up, you know, five, 10 years down the road when our kids are more independent and we have the time to be doing these sorts of things if we want to. Right. Right. So I think a lot of people really figure out their number and are really so goal oriented on that. When I wish people would get to maybe the 80% or 90% mark and maybe not necessarily be there, but transition, like do that coast to where you need to be because your investment portfolio is in a much better position. At, you know, if you're 80, 90% there, it's probably making more money than you, your human capital in the office. Right. And just let that, you know, do what it needs to do in the background and you work on the lifestyle, the mindset, like that is so huge, which I think a lot of people solely focus on the number side and that's not going to reaching your numbers, not going to make you happy. That's not it. It's like, you need to also have the mindset and the lifestyle in place, have your purpose and your why. So start working on that on the, at the end, at the tail end, if you haven't figured that out yet, because that is going to make all of this work out. If you reach this number and you're like, okay, I've been working this crazy grind 80 hours a week just so I can get to this number. And now I'm here. And, and, and now what, you know, like you can't get, it's not going to lead to happiness. right? Right. So you've got to get the both sides going at the same time. So Yes, we're in a we're in a good spot both mentally and financially to be very content with where we are with everything. So life has been really good the last year with both of us all. Nice, that's great awesome. to hear. You congratulations, know, our, our, congratulations on that because it, it is the payoff for all the work that you did. Right, I think mm-hmm. that there is there are a lot of people who want to get to where you're at, but they want to have it right now, and. As you say on your website, I think it took you nine nine years to get yeah. to that point, and there was a lot of work. And we discussed that on the on episode two hundred. So go, folks, go back and listen to that. Sorry, Johnny. Interrupted. No, that's okay. I just our audience has heard us talk over and over again about the need to have your why, mm-hmm. and and all this is pretty much futile if you don't have your why, right? Because you, you you get to that million dollar mark and you don't know what your why is, you you retire, you're probably going to mm-hmm. burn through that money pretty quickly, right? You're, you're going to forget what the whole purpose was and then you have to go back to work. We didn't send this to you in advance, but I'm wondering, would you be able to sort of at a high level sort of share what your portfolio breakdown is? Do you invest in low cost, mostly low cost ETFs? Are you a lot in a large cap or do you do any fixed income or any sort of high level explanation of that you could provide? Considering yeah, sure. Keeping into consideration that uh, you are also an investor in Canada, things are, are just slightly different, right. right? So Yeah. Yeah. So we started off in the States. We were living in the States when we heard about fire and started investing in everything and then moved in 2015. So our, our portfolio is heavily US dollars because that was the bulk of our earnings early on. And then with compound growth, that side of things, the 401ks and things like that are the bulk of our portfolio. But yes, we have Canadian accounts and US accounts. While we were in the accumulation phase, I would say we were 90 plus percent invested in stocks through index funds, basically very low fee, like the VTSAXs of the world, You know, mm-hmm. basically tracking the overall US stock market, keeping it very simple, following JL Collins and the simple path to wealth. That's That was the investment and base that I took and basically just followed the track, the US market. You know, had cash here and there. We house hacked. That was huge for us. We we bought a house early on. That was a foreclosure. And then that those funds from the sale of that house basically has paid for our house that we're currently living in. So that was a huge way to eliminate a huge cost was doing that too. We had roommates and rented it out and all that jazz. So from the housing side, we hacked it that way. And then from the investing side, yeah, it's been basically like I said, accumulation, it was 90 plus percent stock market. And now we're closer to 80% with the intention of gliding back into more stocks over time. We want to have a cash bucket here for the first couple of years. We are super conservative. Like I said, we're under 3%. And we also have the US exchange rate. Like I said, most of our our investments are in US dollars and we're spending in Canadian. So we get a bit of a bump just by having US dollars spending up here. And in Canada, we have, again, going back to your socialism thing here, 
We have something called Canada Child Benefit, which is solely based off of when you file your taxes. So, you know, in the States, when you file with the IRS every year, you file your taxes and you either get a return or you don't have to pay. And when you do the same thing here, depending on what it is and depending on the age and number of kids, you get Canada Child Benefit. It's nothing extra you have to apply for. And right now we are receiving about $8,000 a year just from that based off of my part-time income because it's based off the previous year. And then once we are fully like have no income to claim on our taxes besides what we are withdrawing, it is going to be closer to more than double that, like $18,000 a year. So we don't factor that in. So that's huge, right? Huge number. And it will go down a little bit as the kids get older, but that will be in place until they're 18. So like assuming no changes, you know, politically, but that would be kind of political suicide for anyone to do that up here. So these are like very big numbers, right? So anyways, being that we're a bit more conservative, you know, with only, only quote in quotes, you know, 80% stocks, that's kind of why we have all these other contingencies in place. Yeah. The, but the transition will be to get back to closer to probably 90% stocks or higher than that over time. Like we understand stocks for the long run, like that is the way to grow your wealth. We also understand the value of cash, especially in times right now when the markets are down and we are spending our portfolio, we see value in cash. Some people may not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's mostly been you know tax advantage accounts, whether it was 401ks or IRAs in the States, and then the equivalent up here, um, which would be a, a RRSP or a TFSA. And then you know, taxable accounts have advantages too from tax, you know, withdrawal strategies. So a combination of all of that in low T low fee indexed funds that track everything. Awesome. Interesting. And so did you have to do any sort of like backdoor Roth IRAs to go from like your company sponsored retirement plan into the Roth so you could withdraw and, and have access to more cash? Or were you saving in taxable accounts as aggressively, maybe in proportion to what you were doing with your your tax? savings accounts. Yeah. So now that we're in the States or have left the States, we cannot do any sort of Roth conversion. Like what is in our 401k is in our 401k. You can't have a Roth outside Mm -hmm. of the US and you can't do the conversion. So that's been the tricky part of all of our withdrawals. Our 401k money is our 401k money and it will be there until 59 and a half. Like, so we are not accounting for that in any of our early withdrawal plan but we do have quite a bit in a taxable account in the States as well. So we gotcha. will, in Canada, we can start taking out kind of from the equivalent of your 401k early. There's no early penalties. So we'll be withdrawing from our Canadian accounts first, then our taxable accounts, and that will get us roughly to 60. Then we can start doing the 401k withdrawals. So ours is a bit tricky having to do with you know, yeah. expats and all of that sort of stuff, but but it might be kind of good to say like we've got this 401k money and we just can't touch it. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. that that actually might be kind of, you know, it sounds like you don't necessarily need that, but some people probably need that sort of restriction that there's no way that they can tap into that money. Whereas yes. you know, there are ways yeah. that we could do it here and it, it doesn't benefit people usually in the long run. Some people need their hands slapped <laughs> when they <laughs> yes. when they want to reach for that money to spend. But I my, I guess my <laughs> ultimate question though is do you regret giving up all the freedoms you had in the United States to, to live in that socialist system? <laughs> I mean, do you, do you feel strapped and, and, and restrained from having oh, such I, I, support I, in childcare? And <laughs> I itch to move back to Florida every day. And I just feel like I have these handcuffs preventing me from doing that. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's been great. So many people look at us like we have two heads when we say we willingly move from Florida to Calgary. Like we are literally on the other side of the continent and most people cannot fathom why, why it's so cold and why would you do that? And I mean, it's honestly the people, this is a very generalization, of course, like I am a native Floridian. So I am generalizing myself in the Florida category, but the people here are so much nicer. Everything is just so much everyone's friendlier and just there's an outdoor vibe and it's just more low-key you don't have this crazy consumeristic world that i saw in south florida and like lived in billboards everywhere everywhere you know all those things like just don't exist here so we've been able to escape this materialistic consumeristic you know lifestyle very easily i mean that's just in our brains too but we also are not bombarded with it as much up here and yeah we have so many amazing social perks up here like another one, for example, you know, like social security, something similar here, it's called CPP. But then there's also OAS, old age security, which is 
for every Canadian, once you hit 65, you get OAS, regardless of your work history or what you've contributed into it. It's just an extra payment for being old, basically. So like, there's so many extra little perks being up here and everyone says, oh, well, your taxes are crazy, right? And it's really not that much different. It really isn't. I thought that before moving up here and it's really not that much different. I mean, the biggest thing to make it seem like to understand why is in the US, there's so much money being spent on the military and that's not really being spent up here. And instead it's being spent on people and the community. So you that's why we have universal health. Like we haven't even touched on that, right? But like yeah. having kids, like there was zero cost for us to have our kids like at a hospital. Like you you go to the doctor and you just leave for a doctor's appointment. There's no co-pays, there's no deductibles, there's no insurance plans, there's nothing like that. Like you just go to the doctor when you need to. And same thing for having kids, like you're there and however long it takes for you to be in the hospital, whether that's overnight or three months in the NICU, once that's done, you you leave and you go home. Like there's no bill to pay. Yeah. There's no processing with insurance and having to worry about all that. So wow. there's so I- many little perks that, and these are like also mental perks too. Like, I don't have to worry about the deductible and where's this money coming from? And should we also do this foot surgery since we've already spent our max limits for the year on, since we had a kid, you know, like that's not a thing here. You know, you don't have to worry about like, you know, planning health expenses. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, if you want us to send DeSantis up there to fix your mess for you, <laughs> we're happy to do that. It sounds like he needs to clean that up. <laughs> My mom <laughs> loves him down there. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know, this podcast is being brought to you by the Canada Tourism Board, <laughs> trying to attract you to come up and visit and then figure out how to move. Right? No, there's a saying out there that says, live like no one else will. So you can live like no one else can, right? And, and and so you've made those choices, whether it's two years, five years, nine years, whatever the number of years, you've made certain choices in your life about the way you're going to live during your accumulation phase, the way that you're going to live during your child rearing phase, the location of where you're going to live. All of this has played into what many people would say is a life that they would be very jealous of. You have a life that they would be very jealous of, except for they want that lifestyle and they also want to be living on the beach in California or Florida, (laughs) or they want to have that Manhattan high rise, or, you know, they want to be living in the mountains so they can go skiing all the time in Denver. So the reality is, is that, that, your choices have led you to the lifestyle that you have today. And I think that that's the important thing that kind of reiterate with fire all the time is that your choices in life help you get to your fire. You get to that why. And that's, that's, I think that's really the important thing here is, are you, if you want to fire and you want to fire and have children, are you willing to make the choices that would allow you to get to there? so that you can have the lifestyle like that, whether it is a fat fire where you are spending $100,000 a year and you have a kid or two kids, or you have a less fat fire. <laughs> a chubby fire. Uh, yeah. It should be a chubby fire. <laughs> a little on the thick side fire, right? Uh, and I think that's what really kind of what we're drawing on here is what choices are we willing to make so that we can get to what we want? I do have to ask though, do, do you, based on, you obviously are very familiar with life in the United States um, and obviously in, now in Canada, would you be able to both fire, not be working and being able to stay at home full time if you did live somewhere in the United States, do you think? Or do you think that's only a luxury that you were able to achieve living in Canada? I think we could. I, I mean, we would have to be more strategic about it with the whole ACA, you know, the Affordable Care Act and health insurance. And we'd have to obviously like do our research on that, which I have not spent any time on because it doesn't apply to me at all. But yes, I think we could, since we are relatively low spenders, we would be able to get many of the tax breaks, you know, quote unquote, that are given to what low income people, even though we are not low we are low income, but high net worth. Like mm-hmm. to me, it, it's all backwards, you know, like the whole system's backwards that we are able to qualify for some of these things. And we would also be able to qualify for those things in the state. So yes, I do think we still would be able to. And like I said, most of our accounts are in us dollars. So we would be eight, like we've house hacked. So we wouldn't have the housing equation 
in the States and it's crazy everywhere. It's crazy up here too. But like that part would be relatively equivalent. You know, we'd have the housing down pat there like we have here. And, you know, it, it, we'd still find the free things there. Like there's free things everywhere. We'd still be able to optimize and find, you know, those low cost alternatives, you know, in Florida, it was more like, well, we can travel hack really easily because we were by so many hubs between Fort Lauderdale and Miami that we can easily go to wherever, like anywhere in the world that we wanted to through travel hacking. That was part of it as well as like, there are so many ways that you can hack through life. And I say hack as, is a, as a pro, not as like a, a thing that you're doing illegally by any means, right. you know, like I say it as a, as a very proud thing to be able to hack something. You're not Donald Trump, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, these are things available, like where these are all like things out there, right. That anyone can do. So yeah, I, I do think we could, it would be a different lifestyle for sure. Like we are very outdoor oriented here. And if we were in Florida, like we would be in our car more, like it's just not as easy to be walking around in our neighborhood that we were in in Florida. Like everything's more spread out in a sense versus the community that we're in now. So, you know, life would be a little bit different, but yeah, I think we still could do it. There would just be different, you know, loops to have to go through to get to the lifestyle that we're doing now, which is a lot easier for us to do. There's less loops and hoops that we have to jump through to get to this point. But yeah, I think a a lot of Canadians see it the other way. They think, oh, if I was just in the US, things are so much cheaper there. I could be fired so much sooner because you know housing is cheaper and food is cheaper and car insurance is cheaper. And it's true, like our expenditures are higher here when you look like so many things. I'm like, it's cost what for our electric bill here? You know, everything is more expensive here. So I do think it would probably be easier in the state. Yeah. So there's definitely trade-offs. You know, we have the social benefits for sure, but our food is more expensive. Our utilities are more expensive. Our housing tends to be more expensive. So there are definitely trade-offs. It's not like we are, we are living in a lower cost area in Canada and that is purposeful. So -hmm. that way we do have a travel budget. Otherwise, if we were in a Vancouver or Toronto of the world, we would not be able to spend any money on travel and escape winters. Whereas here where we are near Calgary, we love this area, but in the winters, we can go and travel to wherever, Portugal, you name it, you, you know, you name it, Thailand, wherever for two, three months out of the year and have the same overall spend than if we were living in a more expensive, higher cost of living place. And I think that applies to the States too. You know, you can yeah, be in sure. the New York cities or the San Fran's world of, of the States, or you can be in, you know, other cities that are very enjoyable and LGBTQ friendly, Toledo, and, Ohio. you know, right. <laughs> yeah, like there are, there are places out there if you, and it's about building your community too, in that sense, right? right? Like, right. you know, finding your tribe, whatever that tribe may be. So yeah, I, I do think it would be do, doable. And to go back to what you were saying before too, is with fire and everything, we call ourselves valueous and like we spend money on things that we value and we figured out what those things are. So that's, you know, step one is like, what do you actually value? When we were talking about Mm -hmm. the Joneses and stop following the Joneses, like figure out you and then cut out the fluff. There is so much fluff out there. So the people spending, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars and spending all of it because you have it, like, do you really need to be spending that money? And I think having our student loans from the get-go was actually our saving grace to all of this. Well, you know, I don't wish over $100,000 of student loans on anyone, but I'm glad we had that in a sense that it forced us. We wanted to pay it off ASAP. Some people right. would pay the minimum for the 20, 30 years that you could, and then it's a burden, right? But like for us, it was, we want to get rid of this as soon as we can. So how do we do this? Okay, well, let's take, ev- let's still live like our co- poor college lifestyle and put live with the roommates, live across the street from work. So we're hardly spending on transportation and rent and put that money towards those loans. And then once those loans were paid off, it was like, okay, well now let's put that money towards a down payment because we weren't spending it anyways on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then once the down payment was done, it's like, then I discovered Mr. Money Mustache and like, okay, let's invest this money instead. So it's always been about like having that gap between your income and your expenses and making that money work for future you, not for current you that's going to spend on whatever it is. And then in a year or so you're, you've lost interest in that item, whatever it is. So, you know, it's, it's more figuring out that mindset, the earlier, the better, but regardless of the age, you can get there in 10, 15, 20 years. If you commit to it, this is not a get rich quick scheme, right? Like this is no MLM thing going on. It's like, it takes time, but it's not depriving yourself. Like never once along our journey, did we feel like, 
oh my gosh, when is that, you know, when is 2023 going to get here? Like never once did we think that, you know, like it was more optimizing. Not even during 2020, you weren't saying, when is 2023 going to get here? <laughs> different year, different circumstances. <laughs> but it's always been about like gamifying life and optimizing life and figuring out like we get joys and being like, oh, we just saved a hundred dollars by just switching to this company that we never heard of. But thank you so-and-so for introducing us to them. Like right. now our car insurance is now two hundred dollars less you know little things like that like oh if we just volunteer for the spartan race we can get in for free like let's just volunteer and help set it up for two hours the day before and now we don't have to pay the 60 dollar entrance like little things like that that you can just do that are you know ways to hack through life and like that's how you can bring your expenses down so there's multiple ways of reaching fire you know increasing your income lowering your spending do both it's all about that savings rate right and like increasing that that for us like we find like we were never crazy high income earners we earned combined about one hundred and ten thousand dollars between the two of us so we weren't these crazy crazy you know like techie you know in the tech world making two hundred thousand plus each like that wasn't us so it was how do we create this gap by being creative about it. Right. Like, so for us, it was on the expenses side. So it's always been fun. Like when we were travel hacking and traveling over the years, we've been to over 25 countries. Like now the thought of traveling with kids, like, where should we go? I'm like, nowhere like what <laughs> i don't even know what down the we block do and back <laughs> yeah, like, this just does not sound enjoyable right now but so time, it's an option it's an option if you have yeah. if you want it i yes. think what what i really like about the kind of the way that this question just went and the discussion just went is you really kind of highlighted what i think is kind of the crux of the questions that or the comments that john and i get right? The comments are, I can't more often than not are, I can't do fire because I am, or because I'm doing, and they all seem to be based in an excuse as to why you're not willing to make some sort of changes. Now, granted, there are some people who immediately at their income level may not be able to create much of a spread, right? If you're earning $22,000 a year, then you have an income problem and you need to focus on the income side. And then, but keeping in the back of your mind that the whole reason for growing your income is so that you can create the gap. So that gap can add to your portfolio that you will use to someday fire. And we know people who have done this. We know people in the fire community who started out as, well, some of these, some individuals in the community started out as basically either unemployed or homeless living on the streets and now have have a number of years later fired. So they that the situations are not what are going to control you. It's the mindset that is going to control you 100%. as to whether or not you get there or not. And I think that's kind of we wanted to talk through this idea that having children can be your excuse for not firing, or it can be your reason for firing and actually help you get there. Right. right? Exactly. It could be your motivation. Right. Right. And yeah, like you said, there's always going to be excuses. And for the people who are working minimum wage jobs, like you said, that is the income side that you need to be focusing on. But for anyone earning more than $50,000, there's a way to optimize whether that's you know increasing that maybe to $60,000 asking for a raise switching jobs you know jumping to a different company you know showing your worth to your boss things like that or you know working on the expenses side getting a roommate you know commuting going to a you know public transportation or a scooter if you're in a, a place where you can drive like a vespa like i had a vespa in the states and i miss it I so much a, you had a vespa i <laughs> yeah, want a vespa my whole really life funny. i wanted a vespa oh, it was so good <laughs> used used um and sold it for more than we bought it for but like so there's always hacks to it oh, wow, um, nice. but yeah like come up with creative ways to like save money right but you know depending regardless of your situation there's going to be work you know it's not like okay like i want to be fired in 10 years i'm just going to do this like Okay. Like you can, but it takes time. It takes dedication. It takes motivation. Mm -hmm. I think for most people, they get really hooked on the idea in the first year and like, okay, I went from negative net worth to zero, like all my debts paid off. And now I have $10,000 saved. Great. And now I have a hundred thousand dollars saved, which is the hardest. Like that is all you, that is, you are the workhorse. You are the work engine getting to that first 100,000. It's not the compound growth type of magic that appears. That is you. 
and it's the hardest, but that's also when this doldrum of fire starts to kick in and you're like, okay, now I have to get to a million or whatever your number is. And like, that's still a ways away. And you've kind of, you've read through the blogs, you've listened to the podcast, you've, you know, you've, you've reached out to different people, you've read some books and you've got the core material, but now you're just in the doldrum phase. And that's when you need to figure out how to make life enjoyable. That's when you need to work on that mindset and your why and your purpose and start building that life along the way. So that way, you know, for us, it was travel to start. And now that we have our kids, they are our motivation and our reason and our purpose for doing all this, right? So it's finding your why and your motivation. And of course, you know, in the LGBTQ plus community, the process of having a kid can be very costly. And so that is an added cost that we in this community have to face. Like we were very lucky that Nick carried both times and worked with IUI the first time with Finn and the third time with Parker. So it was relatively a minor cost for us, you know, a couple thousand dollars each time, but it could be tens potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is a major, major cost. And my only advice to that, like I can't help on the cost side because you have no clue what it's going to end up actually being, but make a plan beforehand of, you know, we are going to attempt just for our example, IUI three times, take a break for two months, attempt IUI three more times. If that doesn't work, take a break for two, three months, try IVF three times. And if that doesn't work, it is not meant to be, but like, and as, as hard as it is as it is to accept that, but like there's the financial costs, but there's also the emotional and psychological stress to all of this too. And I think having that plan beforehand will be like, write it down. So you can always refer to it because your emotions are going to play into this. Like, well, maybe next time it's going to work, but maybe next time, but then that could lead to $200,000. And if you have that money to spend and it's worth it to you, great. Then that's part of your plan. Make that part of your plan. But if you know, you've only dedicated 50,000 only, you know, it's still a crazy high number, only $50,000, then that's how your plan needs to to plan out, you know, like maybe you get some unexpected windfall and that could be part of your plan. Like if we get, you know, some crazy amount of money, then we can put it towards it. But if it's not written in your plan like that, then 50,000 is your, your number, you know, and however long that takes and, or maybe have a timeline, like we will try for a year or two years. And if that doesn't work, then it's not meant to be like, and it's, it sucks to have to think like that. But I think unfortunately in our community, it's, just a necessary evil because you could end up spending years and not just in our community. There's lots of fertility issues, you know, outside of our community too, that I think you have to be thinking about things and be proactive about this sort of plan ahead of time, or else you could end up going into debt. And, you know, I just, it pains me to have to think that people are going into debt to have a kid when people are having oopsies all the time, you know, like, it's (laughs) just like, we're, you know, we're like, we are totally, you know, in the wrong for ha- having to do all these costly things that to have a child when so many people in this community so badly want to be a family and it just comes at this crazy cost. So yeah. that's really like my only advice there is like to have a pre-plan for it all because it, it could get very out of control. Yeah. Same with investing. You need to have an entrance strategy and an exit strategy. And yes. The exit does always work out the way you want. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but this is, I think, this has been profound and, and wonderful. And you've given us everything that we, that we were looking for. For those of our listeners and viewers who want to connect better with you and keep up with everything that's going on in your family of four's life, how, the, how can they track you online or in the virtual space? Yeah, sure. So we have a blog. It's modernfamily.com. I'm becoming very unmotivated with it, to be completely honest. (laughs) I'm finding way more of my time is going towards my kids. So I'm there, but not crazy, crazy. And then same thing with Instagram. We're at Modern Family on Instagram. But again, like very little interaction going on there. But the best way to reach out, if you just want to say hi, like connect, you know, something resonated or you have a question, just email me at modernfamily at gmail.com. I love that I'm we're doing this to help people and to build our community and reach out. And I do coaching. That's the one thing that I enjoy actually and am enjoying still with all of this. So I do one-on-one coaching as well. So that you can find the information on our blog about that or I can send you the link to anyone who's interested for that. But yeah, those are the ways to reach out. Awesome. We'll definitely link up to that uh, and to 
your social and to your website. And folks, for you, those of you who are listening, just to let you know, it's modern family, F-I-M-I-L-Y, right? Yes. So it's a play on modern family, the show, right? right? And exactly. looking back on it, I thought, oh, you know, so like, so smart. We think like branding, but, but now every Google thing goes to the show modern uh, family like you just spelled <laughs> so, it wrong <laughs> yeah exactly even if you type in modern family like it sometimes it brings up modern family stuff so yeah it's it's a spin on that that we've reached fi financial independence right. for our modern family well so maybe our listeners can help change the google algorithms by <laughs> yeah. typing in modern family and clicking on modern family yes, yes. <laughs> nice well thank you so much for your time and thank you uh, to the rest of the family for staying outside during this interview snacks always snacks <laughs> exactly awesome well thank you so much we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks for having me Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Court and Nick and Finn and Parker <laughs> for sharing your time with us again today. It was amazing. To your listeners, thank you for listening to another episode. Here's your quick money takeaway from this show. There's always going to be an excuse why you cannot do something. But before you believe it, do the homework to make sure someone else in similar shoes hasn't already achieved it. When you find them, learn from them. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.